All right, turn in your Bibles tonight to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. And we're going to be looking tonight at God's restoration on display. You know that there are times in Scripture where God helps us see something in the middle of times of great difficulty that reminds us of His character and His nature to be a provider, to be a help. And especially after what we've read in chapter 7 and chapter 6, some pretty bleak times in the history of the children of Israel in 2 Kings 6 and 7, that siege that took place when Syria surrounded Samaria and the northern kingdom faced incredible famine, and people were acting in ways that were at the horrible end of the spectrum of human depravity. And, and you think, how could people get so messed up? Well, rebellion against God has a strong effect on the way people act. It really does. People act in ways, think in ways that just, you wonder, what is going on? And then the Bible brings us to a story like this. And there's some things in this that are going to be helpful, I think, to remind us of God's restoring ability and even in what God desires for Israel to remember about him to the future. So notice 2 Kings chapter 8 verses 1 through 6. 2 Kings chapter 8 verse 1 says, Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go thou and thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years." And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Now, is that a remarkable narrative? It's, it's remarkable when you step back and realize who all of the people are that are involved in this story. Do you remember this woman, the Shunammite, who had been that blessing to Elisha when he would be traveling, provided food for him, and then that leaning uh, portion house, that mission's house, you could call it prophet's chamber on the side of her house, a place for him to rest and provision for him. And then in blessing her, God gives her a child, a child when she wasn't expecting this. And in that child was a blessing of God in her Faith in God, in her response to trusting God and demonstrating kindness to God's servant, God's blessing her in an amazing way. And after that boy grows up a little bit, something happens. He's out in the field working, and what happens? He, he faints, they carry him back, and he dies. 
And that which God has richly blessed seems to be suddenly and unexplainably taken away. And there's great sorrow. And yet, there's God's healing and raising this boy back to life. And Gehazi is in that story because Gehazi had been involved in seeing all of this. And the king that's involved in this story is Jehoram. Now, Jehoram, in the previous chapters that we've looked at, has not been thinking in a way that is, I want to do what God wants. I'm interested in following after God. I'm interested in trusting God. He has been at odds. In fact, in last time we looked, he wanted to kill Elisha because he saw all the problems taking place in that siege were the problem of Elisha, not his fault and needing to turn to God. So this story that we're reading in chapter 8 actually, I believe, takes place back in the story of what's going on. Not everything in Scripture always takes place chronologically. You know that of books in your Bible, right? Not every book in the Bible is in a chronological order. And sometimes even within a collection like the book of Kings, there may be something that takes us back and reminds us of something that God did. And I believe that's the case here. And one of the reasons I'd say that is, what do you know about Gehazi the last time we saw him? He has leprosy. Now, is leprosy something that would have a social impact upon him? More than likely, he wouldn't be talking with Jehoram. And even the timing of this famine, it could very well be that this is a previous famine. But whatever the case, these individuals are interacting with each other. And the interaction of Jehoram, the king of the northern kingdom, and Gehazi and his interest in knowing about what Elisha has done, to me, is an interesting part in Jehoram's life. And I think on the early end of his time, more so than the latter. Because at the latter, he wants to kill this guy. He's not so much interested in finding out, what can I learn about what God has done in great ways through this guy, Elisha? This is a point in time where we're looking back to remember something, and it's important because the very next things that are going to be taking place are going to be some kings that are losing their lives, and among them is Jehoram. And God's going to deal with Jehoram. Jehoram's going to go off the scene. And God's promise, even if you remember back in 1 Kings 19 to to Elijah, remember Elijah's very discouraged, and God tells him a number of things that are going to take place, And among those things are the things that are going to come up in chapter 8 that we're not going to get to tonight about how God's going to take down one king and put someone else in place. And that person's going to take the lives of others in God's judgment. And that God was going to bring him Elisha. That was a promise that God had made. And so these things are starting to speed up, we could say, in God's timetable with Elijah and Elisha. And Elisha is sharing this um, story at the very beginning with the woman. In chapter 8, verse 1, he's speaking to her, and again, this is back in a previous time, whose son had restored to life, saying, Arise and go thou in thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn, for the Lord hath called for a famine. And the Bible says, And it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. What would you call the response of this woman to Elisha's warning in verse number two. Obedience. Obedience on the basis of what? Faith in, and this is not hard, y'all. Faith in what? Well, God's promise, God's word. God's word through God's man, Elisha. If God says it, I trust it, 
and I obey. Now, you should underline in your mind or in your Bible, when people obey God's word. It ought not be like, oh, that's important. (laughs) No, that's really big. That's huge. Because people have not been obeying God's word. People have been in rebellion. People have been in opposition. And everywhere you look at this story, from back when we started in 1 Kings 18, all the way up through here, there are these little dots of people who are living in obedience and who are enjoying God's direction, who are given direction from God's prophet. And God is wanting to give direction. Who does God want to give direction to? Is it just to Shunammite women or just to um, a Naaman? Does God have a love for his people? He He does. And his people have had a hard attitude against this. And yet God communicates through these prophets what it is that he wants them to know. And so when we come to this passage tonight, I want to break this down with this simple, if you want to call it, central idea of the text, okay? Sometimes it's good when you look at a passage of Scripture to say, what is the the big thing that is going on in this? Well, here, here it is. God restores what is lost and demonstrates His power to a diverse group. Now, there is a restoring that takes place here, and it is God that does the restoring. And it's a restoring, if you'll be remembering, that God did first with a woman and her son the restoring of his life. That illustration is brought to a king. And if there's a pinnacle of the things that Gehazi could talk about to the king about what God or what Elisha had done, the biggest and at the top of the list would be this this instance in which someone's brought back to life. Resurrection. Is that an important word, by the way? Yeah. Why? Because God is the only one that can bring things back to life. Nobody else can do that. There are no gods who have died and come back to life. There aren't any. No gods that are made by men. No no person that's been a, a guru or some kind of spiritual leader who dies and comes back to life. That, that, that hasn't happened. But in Scripture, you have these pictures of what God is doing and what God alone can do. And so in this, we're reminded of a restoration. Now, something else is restored, obviously not just the life of a son, but the what? Of a lady. What is the restoring in this passage? Look again at it. Chapter number 8, verse number 3, And it came to pass after, at, this end of, at the seven years' end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her what? Her house and her land. Why is she crying for her house and her land? Because someone else has taken it. Someone else has occupied it. Someone else has taken ownership of it. And that's concerning to her. Now, let me ask you something. Is land a big deal? Yeah. And it has value to the Israelite in a different way than it might be to us in just thinking of a title deed to a piece of property here that we could grow crops on or have a house on. It has a family orientation, as a family uh, history to it, something that is given to their family and that is important to be passed on. And just, do you think this woman might have interest in something being passed on for her son? Most likely that's, that's on the mind here, okay? This is something that is seen as important. Now, do the children of Israel have a land? 
Yes. Are they thinking well of the future? As you see their actions and the way that they're acting towards God. I don't believe that that's on their mind so much as what they're wanting in the moment. And so as we look at this, God is restoring what is lost, what this woman has not enjoyed and is demonstrating his power to a diverse group. And I say a diverse group because there are five different groups I want to just point out quickly tonight that can learn from what takes place in these verses. All right, the very first one, if we're going to look at the group of people that could learn things from this, it's a lesson for Jehoram the king. It's a lesson for Jehoram the king. And, and I, I think it's important to remember uh, there's a lesson that represents how God is working. And there's a lesson that these individuals need to see, whether it's Jehoram and Gehazi. What we know in both cases from our reading up to this point have these men acted in faith-filled ways? No. We know that because we've read that point to this point. But there's a lesson in what is observed in this point in time that shows us again, God had such a kind way of making it clear. He was supernaturally involved in what he's doing with the Shunammite woman. Jehoram is hearing the story from Gehazi of what God has done in Elisha. And at the very moment that he's telling him the story of someone raising from the dead, who walks in to hear and have her case before the king? The woman whose son has been raised to life. Now, is that just a coincidence? No, of course not. Do you ever recognize that things are there because God wants you to see it? God is not accidentally putting these things together. God is doing this on purpose. And the king, Jehoram, is to catch this. He is to see it. You know, a faithless king, Jehoram, who has not trusted... I'll leave that up there just a moment. He's not trusted, but he's the king of the northern king of Israel. Um, he is uh, the son of... Does anyone remember who his dad is? Ahab. Remember, Ahab had a son named Ahab. Uh, Ahaziah, Ahaziah died after Ahaziah. Who's the king now? Jehoram. And sometimes you'll say his name is also called Joram. You'll see both. There are two Jorams. That gets confusing. But this is Jehoram, the son of Ahab, who is the king. And he's had the chastening of God on him of what we've read up to this point. And the famine... Uh, is not going to be the last, the one that has just taken place in this story, because the ones that we've just read of, I believe, are another instance of famine. And uh, if God is so capable of restoring the life of this woman's son, why would King Jehoram not seek for God's restoration? Can I just ask you to think about that for a minute? If you hear that God has restored the life of a child supernaturally, why not ask yourself, how do I get this help? You know, the hardening of the heart, the attitude of opposition, the rebellion, is a lesson, I think, that you can take note of here. He is observing God's mercy that was shown to this woman and her son, and he even demonstrates mercy, as we'll see in the story. He has someone help her get back and get abundance back. But he doesn't see that God's abundant mercy is available for him if he humbles himself. And I think it's an important thing to note. King Jehoram does not seek God for restoration. 
You know, there are people all the time who need to be reconciled to God and who are arrogant and proud and will not admit it. Does that ever frustrate you? Oh, come on, church. Yes. How can you miss this? Where, where's your eyes? And yet, we look at these kings and they continually buck and they buck and they buck. And this is a little glimmer of a God moment. God showing what he has done and what this king should be reminded of. And King Jehoram is confronted with the restoring power of God by her story told by Gehazi and by her present request. And it may be that the writer inserted the story as God directed into the chronology here because Jehoram is about to be destroyed. The next thing that's going to take place in chapter 9 is going to be Jehoram is done. And what a, what a way to contrast. God is done with this individual, this man, after you've seen so much. After you've seen God's kindness and God's ability and you've not attributed it to God. In fact, the pride of the heart that says, look what I can do. And maybe even says, in my kindness and my generosity, I'll help this woman. Now, any help that he gives her, God's back of that. Can I just remind you of that? He's not making himself a little bit better in his status because of his actions towards her. He needs the humbling attitude that recognizes his need of God and his obedience and submission to him. And again, uh, there's a lesson for Jehoram. There's a lesson as well for Gehazi. Now, this is interesting because the Word of God brings us back to an individual that we've already seen dealt with in judgment, dealt with in correction. Remember, Gehazi, the, the servant of Elisha, was involved with Naaman back in chapter 5. And while serving as a servant of Elisha, Naaman's healing, and he desires to give them gifts, and Elisha says, no, we will not take anything at your hand. And after Naaman goes down the road, Gehazi trots up along, hey, some, some people have come and we've got a need. How convenient. And what does he do? He takes that which God did not intend for him to take or for him to receive at the hand of Naaman. And he's found out of it, and God's correction of him, God's judgment of him is what? He has leprosy. Okay. That kind of thing is on your mind as you remember back to Hazai, and you realize here's a guy that's seeing God work, and he saw more of the miraculous things that God did than you probably are going to read in the Word of God. And there's no doubt spending time with Elisha would have been exciting. Can you imagine? <laughs> What's going to happen today? Wow! What? Let me tell you the stories. But the top ones, and I think the very height of them, is this story that he's telling to the king. And he still relies on human effort in his life to provide for his perceived needs. Does he perhaps live in austere conditions? Yeah. I, I don't doubt that he had very little. Okay. Is that a mark of God's lack of love? No. No, it's not. Is there anything wrong with having things? No. But is there an ability for us to see that the absence of things does not mean God is uninterested or uncaring or that I've got to connive a way to provide? And this is exactly what I think the children of Israel 
are constantly guilty of is how can I make what I want to happen happen? You know that even a Christian can act that way? How can I make this work? How can I get this to happen the way I want it to happen instead of submitting to what God's way is? And God lovingly corrects his own. He does. I think Gehazi is a picture of one that God corrects so that that cannot continue to infect other people. And it would have had an infecting effect. Well, that's a... It would have had a bad effect if there had been a continuation of a servant of God. Can you think of other servants of God who acted in a way that impacted others? I think of Eli's sons and the kind of horrible way that they were acting and what the result of that was. Hey, God was merciful by dealing with with Gehazi in this way. And the character of Gehazi illustrates that people who cannot deny God has worked because he's witnessed, they've witnessed it themselves, but who do not live trusting God for every single situation of life. And that I, we don't know from Scripture what the attitude was in Gehazi when he went after this stuff of Naaman's, but there could well have been bitterness, there could have been frustration, there could have been definitely impatience. This wasn't what God's messenger, God's servant, had told him to do. So impatience is involved there, maybe even anger about why is it happening this way? And is that not something that any of us can feel? And yet, we're reminded back of the story. What is God doing in this story? He's restoring something that's been lived without for how long? Seven years in another land, away from your home, away from your land, away from the income of that land, And is God able to take care of something down the road? Yes. And that's the mindset that I believe is being encouraged about this whole narrative. Is God able to restore things and provide for things in the future that are better and more important than things right now? And the child of God has to look down the road. He absolutely does. The child of God that's looking in the moment or the next five minutes, the next five years, about every thing misses out you know so much of what the gods of the people in the lands around them offered was stuff now you know what they were gods of gods of fruitfulness in your in your farming gods of the rain gods of the fishes gods of the stuff (laughs) for right now how many of them were gods of eternity and into the future No, they were all about the now. They were all about what you can enjoy right now. And God wants these people to look down the road. Does God have a plan of restoration in his plan for humanity? Yes! Aren't you glad that this is not going to continue on in its cycle of destructiveness? That God is going to do something in the future to bring about a restored world? Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, this is not my, my final home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up. You've heard that song, yeah. Somewhere beyond the blue. You know, this isn't everything. This isn't. And so for Gehazi, it's in a, a good reminder again of remember how God worked. Well, this is exactly what he should remember. Here's another one, okay? A lesson for the Shunammite woman. You say, I think she's already caught the lesson here, hasn't she, Pastor? Well, she comes by faith to seek justice from a king. She likely knows 
that he has not always acted justly. He's a son of Ahab. Do you expect that everything is going to have to go well when you deal with a child of Ahab? <laughs> I don't know that it's, uh, well, this is going to be easy, son. Let's go. No, I think there's faith that if God told us to go and God directs us to come back, God will take care of us. You know, what if God didn't take care of her, you might say? You ever wonder that? Well, what if God doesn't come through for me in this need? What if God doesn't take care of me? Friend, what happened when she lost her son? Did God take care of her? And if she had never seen her son raised back to life, would God have taken care of her into the future? You see, again, we live in so much of this world and this time and these interactions that we have, and God wants us to see down the road, see eternally, see with an eye that sees eternal things. And it's an example, again, of God encouraging the woman of faith. She has followed God's direction by the prophet, which she did. And is being asked to testify of God's work, which, you know, Elisha or Gehazi is telling the king, and the king asks her, you see that in verse number uh, six. And when the king asked the woman, I, I'm pretty sure he was wanting to hear the firsthand account. So tell me about this. What exactly happened when Elisha did this to your son? And she tells him, and she speaks of it. And her example and her story would encourage. I believe other women, other men who were in difficult situations. You know, for all those who believe God, her example is one that encourages us. You may not have thought of the Shunammite woman as an example of someone you could be encouraged by. But as you look at this, was there ever times when she thought everything was lost? Have you ever been at a point where you thought all is lost? Or have you ever felt that for someone else? She's felt it with regard to her son, and she's felt it to being uh, ripped up and taken away from her home. And she's felt it when she comes home and finds someone else is on her property and on her land. Do you think those are somewhat difficult feelings to feel? And what does she do with it? She comes by faith and seeks help. And I think this is noteworthy. God's faithfulness really does transcend our earthly health and our earthly stuff. Uh, She has known that because of her son's resurrection. I think her son's resurrection is a reminder of future resurrection. Do you realize that whenever you see resurrection in Scripture, that it's a reminder of what God is going to do in the future with us? Um, Let me give you a reminder of that, okay? It's a witness to resurrection power. You can turn over there. You can look at the words on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4.14, what does it say? Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus, what? Let's say the next words. Shall raise up us also by Jesus. Do you believe that? That's a pretty big deal. That's a foundational truth for us. He is going to raise us up and shall present us with you. Verse 15 says, for all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the... Who gets the praise for this? The glory of God. Yeah, the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, 
I've lost my son. That's light. I've lost my house. I've lost my job. I've lost my, my income. Were these, were these all things that could feel very strong? You wouldn't think to call them light affliction if they happened to you. But the word of God says for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. And that really is the truth. Everything we experience in this life is like a breath. It is very short. Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are, what's the next word? Seen. But at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are are not seen are eternal. You know, do you think that it would be a lesson that the children of Israel, the Shunammite woman, could be benefited by remembering? So there's a lesson for the Shunammite woman, and I think she's an illustration of that, that there is restoration. 2 Kings 8, verse 6, at the end of the story, shows restoration that is abundant. You notice that? Look at what happens. Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. Now, is that abundant restoration on the part of the king? Yeah, it is. But is that even a big deal compared to what's coming? You know, we get so caught up in things we can count with our hands right now. What can you count of in comparison to that and how exciting that would have been? You know, you've had all kinds of debts and you've had all kinds of things. And someone says, it's all paid. And by the way, we're going to give you back pay for what you should have got. That still would pale completely to eternity. And it's really good for us to get that into our heads. Because you're going to deal with people today, tomorrow, this week, or it's going to happen in your life where there's going to be feelings of loss on tremendous levels. And you're going to have to correctly see, as the Shunammite woman does, you know what? God's the one that takes care of. The abundant provision that's found here isn't to praise Jehoram, and it isn't to praise her, it's to praise God, but it's an illustration or a picture of the abundance of God's restoration in the future. Is what God's going to do in the future with this world even more impressive than what you and I can think of right now? Yeah, yeah, yet we have such a small opinion of that. Well, heaven will be great. Heaven will be a wonderful place. You can't imagine how amazing it is. You really don't have any idea. And it's, it's really exciting to say, God, I know by faith that what is there I cannot see, but it is eternal, and I'm trusting you, and I'm going to rest in what you have. And I'm going to see this as light affliction for the moment. And the work that you're doing in me and all this, I'll trust you in it. I'll praise you for it. That's the attitude that I think the lesson you can see from the Shunammite one. Here's the fourth one. A lesson from the son of the woman, from the Shunammite's uh, son. The lesson from the son of the woman. So he's with his mom, the story here tells, which is interesting to me. Now, he's got to be older. Uh, you could guess that he's anywhere from 7 to 12, perhaps, when he's passed away. And so it's been seven years, so he could be 14, he could be a young man. We don't know how old he is. But do you think it would have been an exciting thing to be with a mom who wants to go see the king about getting your land back? I don't know about you, 
But, you know, there's some moms who are, what do they call them, tiger moms? You've heard that expression? Don't mess with her. She's got a mission, and she's on it, and she's going to... Okay, this mom has seen God work. What a great testimony to have a mom who's seen God work, who encourages her son to come along with her, and let's see if God will take care of this again. Do you think that that would be an exciting opportunity? I think it's exciting that she is with him coming to the king and to even meet again Gehazi. I'm sure that was an exciting thing. Now, to a people who might wonder in the future, where is God? You know, this young man is a picture of God's favor. Had God been kind to this young man? Yes, and he knows it. Why does he know it? I'm sure his mom has not let him forget. God did this. Now, are you and I remembering all the time that we've been brought from death unto life? Do you, do you remember that? That there's been God's kindness demonstrated in your life? Um, the group of people who have faith in God all through this time of apostasy and wickedness, they're often called the remnant, which we're going to be looking at in Romans. Those believers, those few, they're the faithful in times of adversity. You know, these would have been comforting things for them to have read. These verses right here. And remember, here was a woman and her son who saw God work, and I can trust God is going to work, and I know it. And this is a reminder in this son that God was kind, that God took care of them. And I think gratitude stands out when I think of this young man and the lesson to be learned from this. The son has nothing to boast in himself about, has he? His even birth, was that not supernatural and of God? Yep, he can't boast in that. What about his resurrection? Well, he didn't do anything. God did that. He can boast in nothing but God's graciousness and God's working. And, of course, the last of the people that we could observe, uh, number five, a lesson for us all, and Israel. Of course, for Israel first. As Israel would be going through times in the future and reading back of this narrative, whether during captivity in the future, which is coming, and reading of God's working with Elijah and with Elisha, as they would come to this story, do you think the idea of this restoration might just stand out to them as, look what God did, and look what God will do again? Is God going to promise restoration to those in captivity? He is. Is there going to be future restoration of Israel? There is. Are those promises just vague and really, well, they're not going to happen? No, they're real. They're not allegorical. They're going to happen. Okay, so if God is going to promise something and do it, these are stories, these are illustrations that God did things. And God can be trusted. And I believe that sometimes we come into the difficulties and we're in, these are bleak chapters in Scripture. And you need some, okay, remember this. God did something, and it was by him, and you can trust him. And I think that a good example of this in Scripture for us is that we should remember God's restoration power. Romans 15, verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have, what's the next word? Hope. 
You know, the things that God has done in his people in the past, they're written for our learning. They're written for our recognizing the patience and comfort of hope. You know, do you need comfort? As you go through difficult times, do you think the Shunammite woman in the Philistine land, away from her home, away from things, needed comfort? Yes. Do you think that the son needed that? Yes. The idea of having things restored, was that automatically going to happen in their minds? Well, not if the king didn't want it to happen in, in that culture. Now, God ultimately accomplished what he wanted to for this family. And God did a work that was amazing, but it's nothing at all compared with, nothing at all compared with what's future. And our hope, Christian, has to be on things that are beyond the here and now. Romans 15 verse 13 says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, do you recognize the necessity of trusting God and living in the hope that he intends for you to have? I don't know what kind of bleak things are happening right now, but even in our world, have you ever looked around and thought, it's just really bad? It's just bad. I don't think anything can get worse. Well, there it goes. It got worse. Oh, what's going to happen next year? Elections. Oh, no, I don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen if, you know, Russia or China or... And you start to just run all these problems through your head and begin to think, can it get worse? Can I remind you that this isn't what we are bound by? Our hope is not here. Our hope is not here. And even for the children of Israel that were in that, that remnant group of believers that saw apostasy happening all around them, all the time, they were to be reminded that their hope wasn't in just this place right now, but that it's future. And I believe as young people and adults alike, our mindset has to be on one that is looking to the future. Those who trust God and see later restoration. That's what you could kind of summarize this by. There's a trusting of God in this woman, and there's later restoration. And there's restoration that came after the fact. In the following verses that we'll look at in the future in chapter 8, there are people who ignore and reject God and see destruction coming down the road. And it really is a contrast of that. If I trust God and I depend on Him, even if it's not in this life that I see uh, all the provision that I wished for or might, might think I should have, what do I know is future and what is certain about that? I can rest in that. The person that may think, I've got everything right now. I've got the world by the tail. But they're rejecting God and they're opposed to Him. Destruction is coming. And, and it's very obvious. It just keeps repeating itself in the stories in the Old Testament. You just keep seeing it. They think they've got it all and boom. God, God deals with them. God deals with them. God deals with them. God deals with them. So let's keep our mindset and our eyes on things that are eternal and trust Him. And remember, God is a God who restores. God is a God who brought about restoration for this woman a number of times. And may we be encouraged by that. Father, I thank you for your character. And I thank you that we can see in your word these little glimpses of your provision, your care. And I pray that we'd not soon forget it. And help us, Lord, to have an eternal mindset. Help us to see that you have a restoration in the future. And Lord, that our 
even battle right now in bodies of flesh and uh, the temptations that we face right now are for a moment. And I thank you, Lord, that you are working uh, to accomplish something in us for your glory, that there is coming a day when we will no longer battle sin in this world or in our bodies and will perfectly know uh, what it is to be glorified, to be um, enjoying all that your provision and restoration is. Help us, Lord, to have uh, an eager anticipation for that and to live in a great amount of hope of that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.